are listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. The last few weeks, we've gone through the, this short uh, series on Timothy. We've been looking through his let, uh, the letters that are directed right to Timothy. And today, we're going to wrap this series up, this short and sweet series. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, or maybe you blinked and missed some of it, Let me just recap for you where we've been so far. So we started out this series talking about who Timothy is. We got ourselves introduced to him. We saw that he was a young man who lived in a small Greek town called Lystra. And he came from a mixed family. His mom was a Jew. His father was a Greek. And so by that, he was born into being on the outside of society. He, he probably did not fit so well with his mother's people or his father's people. And then one day, this bold preacher from Tarsus named Paul comes strolling into his little village and starts proclaiming about this new kingdom that had been ushered in by this rabbi from Nazareth down in Jerusalem. And it interest, interested Timothy because Probably for most of his life, he felt like he was on the outside. And finally, here was this opportunity to be a part of something bigger, something grander than he had ever known before. And he was invited into that, no matter where he started. And a few years later, when Paul came back through the town, he saw Timothy and recognized that this is a kid who has been hungry for the word of the Lord. And, and the people of his town and a nearby town spoke well of who Timothy was And so Paul invited him to follow him. He said, Timothy, come along with me. I want you to be my disciple. And so began Paul's intentional discipleship of Timothy. And they went all through Asia Minor into, which is modern-day Turkey, into Macedonia and Greece, and they were planting churches and proclaiming the good news of this new kingdom that Jesus had brought brought to earth. Eventually, Paul got, or Timothy got to the point where Paul said, you're ready. And so he sent him off on his own. And he sent him to a city called Ephesus, which we've talked about here before. A great ancient city. It was one of the places that Paul had spent a lot of time and they planted a church there. He sent Timothy to go there to take care of the church, to, to help encourage and correct them along their way. And that's how we get these two letters that we have from Paul to Timothy Because Paul is writing back to Timothy as he's in Ephesus trying to lead these churches and he's trying to give him encouragement. He's trying to give him correction. You need to be be doing certain things with this church. And a couple weeks ago, Josh talked about one of those things, which was Paul was telling Timothy, "You you have to stand on the truth. You see, there were people in the church and in the town who were teaching false doctrine, teaching principles that went against the kingdom that they had been initially introduced to there. So Paul said, you've got to stand on the truth. Correct them where they are wrong. And, and Josh challenged us in that week, like where are we drawing our truth from? How are we getting our truth? And he pointed us to this. He said, you need to be digging your truth and mining it out of this book, God's word. This is where we're going to get that truth that we can stand on. 
And then last week, we talked about risk. And we asked the question, what is worth risking it all for? Some of you may know of some person or have been a person who was willing to risk for, for fame, for fortune, for reputation, for freedom. But are you willing to risk your fame, your fortune, your reputation, your freedom, or even your very life for the truth that we dig out of this? That was the question that I left with last week. That's the question that I was wrestling through. I'm sure many of you were too. Am I willing to give up the things that my society, our culture tells me I need and deserve in order to stand on this truth? Am I willing to risk all that? So that's where we've been so far with Timothy as we've been working through these letters. We've primarily been in the first letter of Timothy And today I want to venture into the second one. A little background on this second letter before we jump into it. This letter from Paul to Timothy is believed to be the last thing that we have that Paul wrote. He was in Rome facing execution and he wrote this letter. And as you read through it, you can kind of see Not kind of see, you can see that Paul knew that the end was coming very soon. From the things that he he told Timothy and the things that he kept calling Timothy back to, Paul knew that his time had come. So let's go over. Come with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And let's see what Paul has to say to his disciple. I'm going to start in verse 13. Paul writes, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. I see Paul again calling Timothy to the same thing that he was in the, in the last book, his last letter. Stay the course that I discipled you on. Stand on the truth that you heard me teach and that you saw me teach, that you experienced when you were walking this thing together. But then Paul adds something at the end of there that I think he realized he, Timothy needed to hear. He says, Timothy, you're not alone. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. I may not be here much longer, but you are not alone. The Holy Spirit will help you through this. I'm sure Timothy really needed to hear that, as many of us need to today. I'm sure a lot of us have experienced times in our lives where we've, we've tried to stand on the truth in our, in our workplace, in, in our school, or within our family and we felt kind of alone you have never been alone if you are a follower of Jesus Christ you have the Holy Spirit living within you and he is there to help you if you will allow him if you will listen to his voice 
You know, as we've been studying, as I've been studying through Timothy, and it keeps seeing these themes over and over in, in these letters to, to stand on the truth, to, to be willing to risk it. The themes that we saw in First Timothy and we're seeing again in this one, it causes me to start asking questions. Like, what is the purpose behind this? Why are, are these themes continuing to, to come up? I, I'm naturally a person who likes to ask questions. Like, you can ask it, my, both of my kids. They will tell you for sure that I am a question asker. But their experience might be a little different. I'm sure they would tell you a story where they felt like they were in a dark room, sitting on a metal chair with a single light bulb as I start to grill them with thought-provoking questions like, why did you shoot your sister in the face with a rubber band gun? Literally a question I've had to ask. (laughs) But I like to ask questions because I like to understand why. What is the reason why? How does something work? And so that as we've worked through this, these letters, and I'm trying to figure out why, God, what, why, why is Paul continuing to, to call Timothy back to this stuff? Is there more? There has to be more. Because otherwise, if it was just like, just stand on the truth and be willing to risk, risk it, then we could just sit back in our homes, fill ourselves with all kinds of knowledge about the text, just so that we can be able to point out and correct everybody else's wrong thinking and wrong doctrine. Making posts on Facebook, sharing awesome Christian memes. But I think there's more to that. There's more to it than that. And I think if we keep reading through this letter, we're going to see it. Let's keep going. And jump down to chapter 2. I think, yeah, the notes only have one through two, the screen only has one through five, and I'm going to read one through seven. So, hold on. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown, except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Let's reflect on that for just a moment. Did you see the more. Did you see what Paul is calling Timothy to? Let's read verse 2 again. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Timothy, find reliable faithful, available, teachable people and trust with them the truth that you have been given. 
the truth that you have seen. And not just pass on information, but make sure that they can then in turn pass the information on to others. Timothy, make disciples who make disciples. Your calling is to multiply the kingdom of heaven. I think that is the underlying call here. Multiply his kingdom. Multiply the kingdom of heaven. I want to take a detour for a little bit and talk about the kingdom of heaven. Because it it shows up in the text quite a bit. It comes up as kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, but those things are interchangeable. And as we think of that, I, that phrase, kingdom of heaven, what do you think about when you hear that? For me, when I think about the kingdom of heaven, or I used to think more this way, I would start to picture all the kingdoms that I have heard about throughout history or seen in movies or read about in books, where it is this, this piece of land that has borders And a king or a queen is sitting on a throne ruling over the people that live within those borders, regardless if they wanted to or not. And that kingdom tries to take care of its people, but what they usually try to do is just expand their kingdom, and that is done through war or intimidation of war. And I can remember that that picture of kingdom is what I would apply to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven when I think of it. Like this is a, a kingdom somewhere, somewhere with borders that God sat on the throne and was ruling, but he ruled differently than the kings that I knew of or thought of. He was a loving God, a, a God who protected his people, a God who invited people to live within that kingdom. They just had to accept the invitation. His, his kingdom was not expanded through war or threat of war, it just was going to expand on its own. And to get more people in there, to multiply the kingdom, the mission was to, to convince people to accept that invitation. You, do you not understand someday the paradise that we get to live in? Some glad more. When you die, you get to go to this kingdom and live under the loving rule of this amazing God. But I, f- I now know that that is an, an incomplete picture of what the kingdom of heaven is. If you take some time and you go to like blueletterbible.org, if you've never used it, it's a great resource to, uh, to study the text. And you do a word search for kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, like I said, those are interchangeable, you're going to see that that phrase, that exact phrase pops up almost a hundred times just in the New Testament. And it is almost exclusively used by Paul and another guy by the name of Jesus. Which doesn't surprise me because I know, because Paul tells me that he got his gospel message directly from Jesus. So it stands to reason that he would be talking about the same things that Jesus talked about, which is the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, in, in the instances I see in the text with Paul doing that, talking about the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't go into the detail that I see with Jesus. I don't, I don't see that next level of what the kingdom of heaven is like. But when we look at what Jesus says and how he teaches about the kingdom of heaven, we, we can see something very, very important that we need to know and understand. And that that is the kingdom of heaven is here and now. We can be expanding the kingdom of heaven here and now. We don't have to wait for some glad morning. It's both now and it's yet to be. One of my favorite teachers, Brad Gray, describes the kingdom of heaven like this. He says, the rule, the kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of God advancing here on earth, here and now, bringing healing and wholeness by pushing out the chaos. Pushing out the chaos. I think if you take some time, and I really encourage you guys to take, take some time and do this, and start looking at all the times that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. You'll see in, the, in Matthew chapter 13, the whole chapter is all about Jesus telling parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I'm not going to open up there and read through all that stuff. I want to hit some of the highlights that are in that chapter. The chapter starts out where he talks about a farmer who plants seeds and how there's different kinds of soils and and there's weeds and there's all kinds of really cool things that you're going to have to go jump into on your own. Because I want to jump to the next two parables that are tied together that Jesus talks about. The first one is he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that is planted in a garden. And that mustard seed grows into a big tree and birds are able to come and nest and live in that tree. You see, the the kingdom of heaven may look small and insignificant to some, but it will grow to something enormous and grand that becomes a blessing for all people. He goes on and says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast mixed into flour and it spreads throughout all the dough. Like yeast, the kingdom of heaven, the advance of the kingdom of heaven cannot be stopped. In this, in this one in particular, but actually in all these parables and in all of Jesus' teaching, if you take the time, you see that he is always referencing back to the text, the Old Testament, tying things together. And one of the things that he ties together with this parable in particular, I think is so cool, is that this, this parable about yeast and flour and dough harkens back to a story that we find in Genesis about Sarah, the wife of Abraham. When they had some strangers show up on their doorstep, their tent step, 
And she runs in and starts making a bunch, a ridiculous amount of bread for their guests that show up. And that's because the kingdom of heaven cannot be stopped when its people show ridiculous hospitality to anyone and everyone. That's the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on and talks about a, a guy who's, who's in a field and he finds a treasure and he says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure in a field and then goes and sells everything he has just to buy that property so he could have that treasure. And likewise, it's like a merchant who is searching for a fine pearls and then finally finds the one that is the most magnificent, most expensive pearl and he goes and sells everything he has so he can buy that pearl. The kingdom of heaven is worth letting go of everything to experience the treasure of that kingdom. This is only a few of the parables that you can find throughout the Gospels where Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. But you will always see that the kingdom of heaven is pushing out chaos partnering with God to bring order here and now, not someday, not somewhere else, but right where we are. And I believe this is what Paul had been calling Timothy to. Timothy, and what this what he's experienced. Like, Timothy, this, the truth that you've experienced, the truth that you've seen in me, you need to, to share that with other people. You need to show other people that this kingdom of heaven is here and now, that it is, it is for anybody. You don't have to have it all put together. Like, invite them in, Timothy. Remember where you came from. You know, recently, I, I had the opportunity to, to, to spread the kingdom of heaven, but also experience it myself in the same moment. One of the unfortunate things that we get to experience as teachers up here is we get to present to hundreds of people our most unproud moments. And so here's another one. Back in 2004, uh, my army unit, we were getting prepared for deployment, and I got a new soldier. He was a young guy, excited, full of himself a little bit, like most 20-somethings are. But the thing that annoyed me about this guy the most was the excitement he had about this newfound relationship that he had in his life. At this time in my life, I was not uh, walking with Jesus very much. And so when I saw this young man super excited about this new relationship that he had found with God. Always reading his Bible, always talking about Jesus, it annoyed me. And I was, to use a restoration night term, super codependent. I loved the acceptance 
of other people. And so I jumped on the bandwagon with my platoon sergeant and other people, and I ridiculed this kid. I would, I would use the knowledge that I had from my time growing up in the church and going to a Christian high school to kind of tear this kid down and bring him down a notch because I thought he was too cocky. And that was his experience with me. Years later, when I finally got over my pride, God, was tell, God told me, he's like, you need to go make that right. You owe that guy an apology, and you need to ask for forgiveness. And I was like, uh, okay, sure. But how am I supposed to do that? I have no idea where this kid is. And so I jumped on Facebook, and I found him on there, but I didn't friend request him. I didn't want to go that far. But I sent him a message. And in the message, I, I apologized, asked his forgiveness. And I kind of left it at that. I, I never heard back, but I just left it there, feeling like I had done my part, and just kept moving on, doing life. But then... A couple of weeks ago, my life group, some of my life group, and I, we went and rode the Hiawatha Trail. And on our way back, we decided to grab dinner in Coeur d'Alene at this amazing taco truck. Best tacos I've ever had. But we pull into the, into the parking lot, and there is this guy. And I'm like, what in the world? So we go and order our food, and I come back, and I do the obligatory, hey, good to see you, so long, blah, 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 and shoot the breeze a little bit with him, and then sit down, and that was it. And then I got up and go to the bathroom, and while I'm over there, God's like, hello. (laughs) This is your opportunity. I was like, you're right, God, as always. So I come out of the restroom, which is way across the parking lot, and I come around the corner, and I see him, and they are loading up in their car, his wife and his kids. And I'm like, oh, man. So I started doing a speed walk over there because I did not want to miss this opportunity that God had given me. And I walk up to him, and I was like, Hey, Coulter, man, I got to apologize to you. I treated you like garbage. I was not a reflection of who I know Jesus to be and who he calls me to be. Please forgive me. Right in front of his wife, who had, I don't know if she had heard horror stories or not about me. And I didn't know how he was going to take it. But he said, I forgive you. Thank you. It means a lot to me. I don't know what he experienced as far as the kingdom of heaven is concerned, but in that moment, the kingdom of heaven was like restoration. 
reconciliation, joy. I could not believe. 16 years later, God gave me the opportunity to apologize to him. It was pretty awesome. There's a lot more text that I want us to read through. It's in your notes. It's on the slides. But I ran out of time. But as we are thinking about what it looks like to multiply the kingdom, what are we multiplying? These are the kind of things that I think we should be trying to multiply. Because the kingdom of heaven is like a group of life groups. Multiple life groups who come around one of their own after his house burns to the ground in January and they help him sift through the wreckage and help him find the things that he needs to be able to to take him and his kid back to a place where they could live. Some of them even giving out of their own pockets. The kingdom of heaven is like a church who comes together on a rainy, cold Saturday in April to love on its community, to go out and clean up schools and pathways and highways and businesses around the community. That's what we've been doing, church. That's what we've been doing as a church. And as Paul continues writing in his letter, he's telling Timothy, be ready. Be talking about the things of God as you go. Entrust it to people who can then in turn and do the same. Don't just talk about it, but live it out. Multiply his kingdom by living it out. We're going to go to our time of communion. If you're new with us, uh, we do communion every week. It's a, it's a great thing, I think, that we do. I love that we do. You can join us if you're new. You don't have to be a partner You don't have to be a regular attender. You just need to be a member of the family of God. On that night, that final night that before his crucifixion, his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus was with his guys and probably gals, I imagine, might have been there too. Who knows? But he said, you know, this this is my body which is broken for you. And when you do this in remembrance of me, I think he was was encouraging them to remember that the kingdom of God is ever expanding. You are a part of it. I am a part of it. They were a part of it. Bring it here and now. Bring it here and now. So as we remember what he did for us today. Remember that it was not for just some glad morning, some day down the road, but it is for us here and now. 
and for us to share with the world here and now. Let's take the bread together. And after the meal, he took the cup, he blessed it, said, this is the cup of my blood, which stands for the new covenant that I'm making with you. So whenever you drink of it, remember me. Let us remember again what he has done for us. Father in heaven, I, Lord, I thank you that what you invite us into is not something that we are preparing for just someday. That you are not inviting us into just coasting or barely making it to the finish line, begrudgingly surviving through our lives. But Lord, that you call us to live and experience your kingdom here and now. Lord, that you call us to invite others to live and experience the glory and the power of your kingdom right here, right now. And that it is only a shadow of what is yet to come. But we can experience it right now. Father, I pray for us all as we leave today that, Lord, that we will be looking for ways to see your kingdom at work. We will be looking for ways to usher your kingdom into this world ourselves. Celebrating with others who are doing it. And leaning on your Holy Spirit that is within us to accomplish this mission. Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.